the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, where I hear Emily, um, Jim's wife, am here to interview my husband, um, excavate, do the post-mortem on his last sermon. That's right. Here we are. We missed everybody. Glad yeah, to be back on the yeah. podcasting swing of things after been... a little bit of a hiatus. How many weeks has it been? A month, give or take. Right. And it's been a really restful, peaceful sabbatical for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe some some harder times at the end, but... Um, do you have any, actually, that's, uh, I was going to say, you, in, in your sermon, you mentioned mm-hmm. that you had, uh, or maybe it was before the sermon, so people who just listened to the audio version of your sermon, yeah. um, Jim's mom passed away, um, is it two weeks now, 10 days, something like I that? I think it was November 11th. Okay. Um, and you submitted as your blog entry. Have you posted that yet? Yeah, it's live. Yeah, uh, your mom's the eulogy you gave for your mom yes which it was a tearjerker i i didn't <laughs> read it but i listened to it and it was totally a tearjerker well i i wanted it to be <laughs> <laughs> that is the goal um we may have gotten a few podcast listeners out of that shout outs to the random relatives that we gave the pod last podcast link out to oh yeah that's right we'll see we'll R- see right in we'll post sunday blues at gmail.com yeah. let us know if you're let us know if you're listening right. listening in in western pennsylvania as is uh, yeah as is my habit of um introducing today i like to ask a question related to your blog post mm-hmm. so let's let's dig deep and tell me the um the the funniest thing your mom ever i don't know, I don't know. just tell me a funny story about your mom <laughs> Or about you and how you should have treated your mother better. Better. Oh, tell the breakfast story. Oh, okay. Because I really, I have kind of stopped making breakfast. Yeah. And dessert. And almost dinner. So it's... <laughs> I'm close. We can relate it to the eulogy in this way. I almost included the breakfast story uh-huh. in, the, in the eulogy, but I went with the... They were economy size right, and right, right, on right. sale story in, yeah. instead, so... Way back in the old days when my brother Mark and I were pretty young still and home with my mom and dad, there was a tradition for a while where mommy at least occasionally would make breakfast for the whole family. And she was tireless in the household. I did talk about that mm-hmm. during the eulogy. Right. Didn't normally, for Mark and me, breakfast was the only meal that she didn't make for us during mm-hmm. the week. She made all of our lunches. She made made every dinner. But on the weekends, occasionally, she would make breakfast. Standard American breakfast, bacon, eggs, toast, that sort of thing. I hate making bacon. (sighs) (laughs) Helen Wolves, if you have any recipes for how to successfully cook bacon, you could send them to postsundayblues at gmail.com, and I'll be sure that the right person receives that email. One time, Mommy made breakfast, and both I, Mark, and my dad were late getting to the table, which I didn't understand as a frustration at the time. 
At, at this point, I can become deeply infuriated when <laughs> dinner is ready. A lot of work has been put into it, but then the kids just are not around or straggle down five, ten minutes later. We're actually working on a, maybe new, a new system for that of dire punishment and recrim- recrimination. Mark, Daddy, and I were late to breakfast, and I think we all had, this was way before smartphones, we all had reading materials, so probably for my dad, probably newspaper for, for my dad reading about politics. For me, I got the sports section. Mark, to this day, is, doesn't know how to read, so <laughs> it's probably just the comics for, for him. So we were late to the breakfast table, and didn't didn't say a word just started eating silently as we were heading mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. so my mom tended to be a stormer from the table person just in general this was one of her most epic and i did forget to mention during the eulogy in real time i put it at the beginning of the of the eulogy when i wrote it but i just forgot mm-hmm. to say it i think it's fairly typical f- for most families for, for kids to learn, and maybe this is not true, profanity from their old man, but everything I learned about profanity came from my mom. <laughs> it was just super, Classic. super salty when, when she'd get angry. So in a, in a flurry of hurt and profanity, she stormed off from the breakfast table and said, I am never cooking breakfast for any of you ever again. <laughs> And that was literally true. I may have been eight years old or something. Uh-huh. Mommy never cooked a piece of bacon, never fried an egg, <laughs> never toasted some bread except for herself till the day she died. And even Mark, Daddy, and me at the time were thinking, like, she'll come around. <laughs> Just give it a couple of weeks. But then I think it was Mark that made the mistake a couple weeks after that, saying, Mommy, can you make breakfast oh, for us no. again? Too early, and, too soon, too yep, soon. Yeah, yep. it was always too soon to ask after breakfast. So... That's my mom. She was a firecracker. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And the the weekend was a good mem- memory, memorial of that and lots of good stories. But um, yeah, not the most fun way to end a sabbatical. But Yeah, um, the, the, the other challenge, and I've mentioned this to, to a number of people locally, the funeral was held on the family property in, in Western PA, the funeral and all that stuff. So not at a funeral home, not at a church. It felt a little bit like church, very, very early days of, of Liberty Collingswood mm-hmm. church planting where no systems not only I would, no, no systems, not only was I in charge of all the content, but also all the operations and logistics. Parking, parking systems. Parking systems, <laughs> printing bulletins, Making finding sure musicians, thinking, of, yeah, <laughs> thinking, thinking through the HVAC situation. Do we have enough seating? What happens if there's overflow? Yeah. Yeah. And walking your dad through that. So counseling and um, helping, helping your dad, assisting your dad through those decisions. It was a heavy, heavy few weeks, but I appreciate all the expressions of love towards me and our family during this period and all of the prayers too. So I I don't want to sound flippant about any of that. Right. Really and, that is, I and, mean, and also cards. Too. Yeah, and that's the context of the the sermon. The next section, call it Stormy Monday. Um, the, it's the context through which you like re-entered the preaching preparation. Although I think you you had sketched out the sermon right beforehand for like at least the Advent series topically. I wrote. I had a complete draft of this sermon at I the see. end of October before okay. before going into 
mini right. sabbatical. So this was that that was part of the plan. Do you feel like um, there was extra that um, that brought you or that you brought to the sermon, this sermon that you had written previous, or not? <laughs> I'll I'll say probably not. Okay. Simply because I didn't want to start crying in the pulpit. So sure. They were they were parallel processes and not intertwined ones. Got it. Um, so when you wrote it back in October, well, you were thinking about Advent and helping our congregation to um, begin the season of Advent with mm-hmm. the concept of hope. What, what, what was the specific burden or calling in that? Yeah, it, let me say a word about the sermon series, and then jump specifically sure. to the sermon. Messiah, or, no, wait, I, I got the title wrong, hold on. The Plan All Along, colon, Messiah in Pentateuch. What do you think of that title, baby? Did you, I, were you talking just now? <laughs> <laughs> Another awesome title from yours truly. So we've been doing, we're years long into a sermon series from the beginning of Genesis right now that did carry forward for a couple of sermons when we were gone. I'm grateful for both our in-house and out-of-house guest preachers in November. Thinking of something related to, or goals for Advent sermon series at this point something that I haven't done before, Mm -hmm. (laughs) either personally, so it'll be more interesting, or not done in recent memory for folks at Liberty Collingswood. But then in addition to that, I just had the idea, may as well do something Old Testament, potentially something tying into the Genesis sermon series one way or another. And the idea came, there are kind of four primary passages in the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Uh that are considered by the church to be messianic passages, passages that point forward to the Messiah. And Four Sundays in Advent felt kind of cool that I could just go go four and four. There's some other, there's, it's not a hard and fast distinction. So, So there are some other passages. And it was Jesse Carroll, one of our elders, that had the idea that on church on christmas eve saturday sure. morning the, the 24th that's technically not not a sunday in advent mm-hmm. it's not even a sunday <laughs> as i think we're becoming go into that rococo rube goldberg machine <laughs> why we're doing it this way but it's still within christmas mm-hmm. i'll be preaching that sunday not from a quote-unquote messianic passage from the old testament but from the book of Leviticus that talks about the Day of Atonement, where once a year the high priest goes and makes a sacrifice for the sins of the people of God, and that will consider Jesus' priestly office in an anticipatory way. So I'm excited about the series. I'm excited about the Genesis connection. I hope it didn't seem too weird for me to begin this sermon series from Genesis 3 with a passage that had already been preached on earlier this year. Did anyone notice? <laughs> I'm sure they did. Our, our Helen Wolves are, are eagle-eared when right. it comes to things. They have raptor-like recall, eyesight, and hearing. But then moving specifically to, to this sermon, and it was kind of a happy circumstance where traditionally in the liturgical calendar there are different themes per week within Mm -hmm. Advent. The first one is hope, Mm -hmm. and hope is something that I think is front and center in a passage Yeah, the very concept of messianic promise is hope. So I think that's, it was very um, 
very much in the text and then very much um, something with Advent, the, the central the central theme of that. Yeah, so pondering hope in when I constructed the sermon back in October, and then probably too that if there is a connection with my mom's death, another layer thinking about how the, the hope of heaven is not just mm-hmm. pious language that, that means nothing, but it really is something that brings a great deal of comfort when both during the service and around the funeral, People were saying she's in a better place. We'll see her again. That's not just whistling Dixie, but that's that's true. Right, right. And that 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 does give hope in the midst of grief. Right, and that's the grounded hope that you're talking about—the one that's not just um, wishful thinking hope, but mm, a tease for muddying the waters. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Let's move on to presence of the Lord. Okay, um, Sun Studios. Here we come. Specifically, digging deep into this Genesis passage that you've already preached on. What was the spin? What, what? How did you preach before versus right now? What was the? I, I don't. I really don't remember. Yeah. Really so <laughs> how I, you preached I, I didn't remember either. I I think we've mentioned in this podcast that that after I preach a sermon, I just <laughs> flush <gone>. it. <laughs> so pretty consistently in in my preaching Fancy that. ministry. I do the same thing. Yeah. Great. <laughs> when people will ask me, hey, Jim, do you remember when you said blah, 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 blah in a sermon? I'm like, tell me more. I mean, because <laughs> I have no recollection whatsoever. I did not recall how I treated these verses first time around and was actually gratified to find that it was Eric Mitchell that preached from, nice. from this passage <laughs> earlier because I was like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> And there was a reason. So this this was my first pass through Genesis 3, 14 to 19. But then traditionally in Protestant, I think this comes from the Puritan tradition, I treated Genesis 3.15 sort of as a capital text. So one of the strands of English and Scottish Puritan preaching was you would, and which is not normally my modus operandi for, for preaching personally. You take a whole passage, but you kind of just talk about one verse in the passage the whole time. That's the, the capital head, Latin. Caput is Latin for head. And then built the sermon off of that. When God talks to, in judgment, the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Mm -hmm. Proto-Evangelium, first announcement the church has considered of the Messiah to come right here. And I've always been fascinated by this verse, including in my own time as a Christian. I mentioned during the sermon that not even all Christian interpreters, ancient and modern, think Mm -hmm. that this is properly speaking, a messianic text. Mm-hmm. I've kind of gone back and forth over the years sometimes, and there's always, you know, different hermeneutical influences that will have it at, at one time or another. Right. And so so I think there is room, I think there is room for, for disagreement here. What's the uh, counter argument if it's not messianic? Messianic. Well, the, the, the standard Jewish interpretation of this passage is that the seed of the woman is either humanity in general or Israel specifically, and there's just an ongoing battle between the okay. evil, which is evil in the world, which is from Satan, and and then got it. I see that humanity is good, vying vi- vying against it. I think it's possible to have a good and high view of Scripture and take interpret it either way. Yeah, two different interpretations. On here, but it was fun for me in the sermon. I don't always do this. This is one of the times when 
at least for a few minutes, I brought people into the interpret out of the sermonic dining room into the interpretive kitchen and asked people to weigh some evidence with me back and forth. It is a little bit of a Rorschach test where you see what you want to see as far as is this messianic or not. But the agreement here is that in the context of these judgments given to serpent, to the woman and to Adam, to the woman and to the man, this one verse sticks out mm -hmm. as not speaking to present judgment, but instead pointing future. to some type of future right. reality. So whether it's messianic or not, right. it's still prophetic. Yeah, it's 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 got to be saying something, or else it doesn't even make 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 sense. And the question becomes, uh, what is it saying? A mm -hmm. couple other things on on this point. Um. For those that don't believe this is messianic, one of my pushbacks would be, not a strong pushback, but but a reservation would be to come back and ask the question, how do we locate the burden of proof with something mm -hmm. like this? So, so in some ways, there's, no, there's not going to be a smoking gun interpretive reason or set of reasons one way or another. But then I, well, I guess I did allude to this sarcastically when I said, hey, we're not going to expect in the third chapter of the whole Bible at the very, very beginning to get an excerpt from the Nazarene phone book circa 0 AD. Right, right, so right, right. let's not expect things to be super, super specific. But then also why I think we don't need to land the plane hard on Messianic or not, even though I do land in the former direction. Even if it's not directly Messianic, this language of offspring or seed is so incredibly central to the Abraham story and to the construction of God's covenant to save as it goes from Abraham mm -hmm. to Moses to David, that even if this doesn't skip ahead and point directly towards Messiah, this really is on the main, the main covenantal throughway anyway that will lead to Jesus. So even if it's not directly messianic, mm -hmm. you can still get to Jesus pretty easily from here. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I have one other thing to say. Okay. Before you <laughs> saw then, me thinking about moving on. <laughs> I, I saw that look in your eye. One broader comment, and then this is all I have for presence of the Lord talking about this passage. This passage. The sermon text for this morning, and we're recording late morning on Tuesday. I spent the morning before this um, continuing to work on this Sunday sermon from Genesis chapter 49, uh, Judah, Jacob, Jacob's prophetic blessing upon Judah, mm -hmm. verses 8 to 12 of Genesis 49, the second messianic passage one way or another in, in the Pentateuch. So if Genesis 3, passage from last week, is not considered, then was not considered messianic really by any Jewish interpreters. Sure ancient or modern, before Jesus or after Jesus, this coming one was definitely. was definitely mm -hmm. majority of Jewish commentators, both before and after Jesus, mm -hmm. considered to be messianic. And I kind of like how there's a mix, thinking about the relationship of Judaism to Christianity. It's intriguing and I think confirming to me, well, I'll, I'll say it this way, if it was only one or the other, if the New Testament comes along and cherry picks passages from the Old Testament that they claim points to the Messiah, but 
none of those passages in the Old Testament were ever considered messianic by anybody. Mm-hmm. That would make me scratch my head a little bit and say, hey, can right. we be Right, are sure we that, really doing this? Yeah. Right, is, are, are we not just reading into things? But then on the other hand, it's kind of cool where there is an element of surprise. So, for example, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, uh, when... Is that another... Oh, that's not the Pentateuch. Yeah, no, that from 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 Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed, and and all of that. Like a lamb before the shear is a silent, so he didn't open his mouth, etc. That's a passage related to the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy, not at all considered messianic. Mm-hmm. So, so you get this intriguing mix of Jesus fulfilling passages that were considered by mainstream Judaism for generations to be messianic, but then you get the surprise passages too. And I like how there's a mix of both to keep us on our toes. You started the section with the analogy of this being a chef's, like a sh- peeking inside the kitchen. And yeah, did that, you? I like that one better than, than the postmortem. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like, and, and the analogy of the, like, all these, like, bar band cover tunes, I feel like the kitchen thing speaks to me more. Like, I, I think on my bucket list is the going to a chef's table, the, a private chef's table, or the omakase and royal. Right. Um, I, where you're watching the sushi chefs. I like it. Um, work. That, yeah, that's my... Yeah. Well, two, two things on that. Number one, <laughs> Helen Wolves will remember that I've said before that the original outline for this... Post Sunday Blues was food related and not it? It, it it was and and not music related. So it was in the <laughs> so so I think the constructing the sermon that we call Presence of the Lord within Sun Studios was called On Do We Do It. Oh no, that that's then, not that's not the, what I'm talking about. Yep. Also, <laughs> thinking about Chef's Table, I think the original iteration of that was the second book of Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, The Restaurant at the it. End of the Universe. Yeah. When, he's a scene where he's watching the chefs. Well, it's even better. Cows are sentient and are oh, genetically no, engineered that. Yeah. to. <laughs> it's kind of grisly when you think <laughs> about it. To to want to be eaten. So if if you go to the restaurant at the end uh-huh, of the universe uh-huh. and order a steak, a cow comes to your table and talks about all of the delectable portions of uh-huh. of said cow that you'd be welcome to feast on. <laughs> we can work on that. Everybody has a bucket list. <laughs> Uh, moving on hands. to yes. muddying the waters. Um, what you were you mentioned that this sermon was fun already. <laughs> uh, I think uh-huh. you, I think you've mentioned difficulties also. But what so what um, what do you want to talk about here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad you asked. And when I'm in a good sermon writing state, what is difficult is also fun. I'm okay. That, okay. That, that, that that's. That that's the case, but fun is not always difficult. Fun can be easy. Uh huh. And big tent fun. <laughs> as far as engaging one context or another, the sermon from the perspective of how I wanted it to hit people is pretty much spending a sermon interrogating hope in different forms and from from varying perspectives. I I did mention the statistic that. I think I gave to people in October. Oh, I, I meant to go back and I forget where it's from. I think I knew in October, but I flushed it. So I, or I flushed recollection of the sermon. I'm sure I have the have it written down somewhere in my back catalog. Seventy five percent of Americans are pessimistic about the future of the country. Uh-huh, the highest uh-huh. percentage on record based on surveys like that. Yeah, and wanting to think about how 
even though hope is essential for human beings, it's also hard to find. And right. and this is where it was actually a late addition to the sermon, either Saturday morning or Sunday morning, when I added the little bit about hope in the biblical worldview versus how we commonly talk about hope, convictional okay. versus aspirational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that is a huge difference where with, with biblical hope, I think I mentioned Paul, I know whom I have believed and I know that he is able mm-hmm. uh, to keep regard it for me until that day where, where biblical mindset, hope means you're looking to the future with a conviction and certainty that mm-hmm. things are going to happen a certain way. And there's nothing wrong in itself about how we'll typically think about and use hope in present day, but it's aspirational. It's a little when, more empty. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have we have no idea what's going to happen, but we hope things that go one way, not another. It's good like to Taylor take some Hurts. pot shots <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> at, at, at Philadelphia sports and and in various ways. That I almost put there <laughs> instead of three Philly sports references <clears throat> instead of the James Harden. Sixers one. Uh, I was going to say something mean about like hoping that Ben Simmons. Right, 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 right. Con- yeah, that, that's, that's to, too far. Yeah, crater. <laughs> just, <clears throat> just, just leave a yeah, leave a carbon it, footprint where he used to exist. One can hope, <laughs> but the this is this should I hope be good news to people where the Bible, the story of Jesus invites us to a deeper, richer, more convicted hope Mm -hmm. that can truly anchor us, especially in an uncertain world. So I talked about that in conceptual categories. And then I also added, as a late addition, that that little bit asking people to think clearly about what they are actually hoping in in a practical level, which I think is a bridge between listeners of the sermon that are convicted convicted Christians versus not. Mm -hmm. So it's the case that even for people that are followers of Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean that every moment of every day, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, blood and righteousness. We're hoping in a lot of different things and our hope, our hope compass spins and spins around the dial in a lot of different directions. So think about what you are hoping in, in a practical way. And this is a broad, set of strokes probably mentioned that on sunday too if it's not jesus it's fallible mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, or or empty or just yeah or yeah, i mean or empty and, or dumb and at the micro level that's a that's a christmas spirit thing too like the the all the holiday messages um embedded in our disney plus or yeah um or at the shopping mall if you love Jericho me mall. if you love me you'll get me kevin bacon for christmas <laughs> Um, you were shouted out by by Guardians. Kevin Bacon? No, by gar- the Guardians. Uh, this podcast, or not this podcast, but you. <laughs> who right? shouted out whom? The, the Turtle Dove shout out. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that is a great. So, Post Sunday Blues, Preaching Postmodern Mortem recommends the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special streaming on Disney Plus and had a really nice Chris- new Christmas song from the old 97s. <laughs> um, Mentions Turtle Doves. Yeah, but empty hope. <laughs> empty hope. That's the point. <laughs> hope and alien friendships. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, um, the science fiction is incorrigibly speciest right now. And I have a... I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of thoughts, but I okay. don't have a lot of thoughts about that. 
So, so both at the micro level of Christmas and holiday, but also the macro level of like, what are we doing with our lives and what are we trying to, um... yeah, yeah. For people that are only listening to the podcast, but didn't listen to the sermon that that's the point at which I came down from the pulpit and just started screaming, screaming like a madman saying, what are we doing with our lives? People? <laughs> What are we doing? And then you burst into the liturgical dance that you promised. That's right. Oh, so excited. One, one other thing at this point, um, at the very end of the sermon, talked about how for hope to be real, it needs to both reckon with reality and promise something better. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I don't think I got that from, from any source, but it just kind of makes sense to me that hope that doesn't reckon with reality doesn't speak to our reality but then the flip side if hope doesn't actually promise something better Mm -hmm. is it is it really worth hoping in and jesus in his crucifixion and resurrection does both of those things for us okay nice um where where are we oh bar band coverages (laughs) (laughs) looking at the outline that i look at every single week that's right i uh, like halfway through your sermon i realized like your this sermon was full of of quotes like references like i i use a little <laughs> symbol i just write quotation marks on my symbol that you're making a quote or reference uh-huh. so i have one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen oh my goodness i've that's, 13 that's more than i had 13 references noted um so i'm we're not gonna go through all those <laughs> what, uh, we, we what are the ones that uh that speak to you the most. So, so let's go from heavier to lighter. And yeah, turtle doves. Wait, no, howling wolves. I get mixed up. Be, be, <laughs> I stuck be that. Encouraged, I that. Be encouraged <laughs> that coming back into the pulpit, I came with a measure of excitement. And so it's time to get my reference on all, all over again. <laughs> this, is, this is where but, Jim was spending his sabbatical rest time in, in these things. <laughs> yeah, there, there was one point before sabbatical went in a different direction when you scolded me not scold scold but i was doing some oh it was when the first day back from 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 new orleans i pre-wrote the review of the new bruce album and you're like why are you doing that when you're supposed to be and i'm like i'm a content creator no it wasn't and then you also well that was not my thrust was how what what are you even doing pre-writing a review of an album that you haven't heard yet yeah i thought i'm that good right and then you weren't because it didn't exactly speak to it was a very mixed review feel about it was a very mixed review but then the new bruce album i like even less than that you heard it here first people yeah it's 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 really disappointing yep come on bruce do better you don't have much time left (laughs) <laughs> okay, so some references here. A couple of journalists slash academics. George Packer, a journalist. I, I do recommend his long-form article about going to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of stories, you know, some macro and statistical stuff, but a lot of vignettes about ordinary Ukrainians that are doing heroic things for the cause of mm-hmm. freedom and justice. The framing device, and I think this happened really at the beginning of the Packer article about Ukraine, talking about how burnt out and pessimistic he was about the U.S., so I flagged that. Andrew Del Banco is an older, I think he's still an active professor 
at Columbia University, sort of a history slash American studies person saying that, hey, we need we need to have hope. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days and hours. Mm-hmm. If we were to keep at bay, and I like this phrase, the dim back of mind suspicion that we are adrift in an absurd world. So I think that's true. So we had journalists the slash... The of most Hollywood productions. Yeah. Journalists slash professors quoted from a couple of books. I guess I read both, both of these earlier this year. Haruki Murakami about how we use fuel as hope that's one q84 that's a really really good book i where, where is that a kindle book it's a kindle book i used to steal jim's books then i then he got kindle and i stopped stealing them and then i stopped reading so so, so it's my fault that's what you're saying that's what, that's what i'm hearing and then jason mott hell of a book i th- I think it was the National Book Award uh-huh. that this one that won, one or, or, or maybe it's uh, Pulitzer. I forget. Maybe both. Also on Kindle. So, yeah. so so sorry. I don't need to go into the whole backstory, but a character in hell of a book who has tragedy occur or befall him. He's at a church meeting, even though he's not religious himself, but he saw how telling stories of biblical redemption in that context brought hope to grieving people, a community rocked by tragedy. And Mott says that he became a believer, not in God, but a believer in stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I highly recommend Hell of a Book. It is like the title says, but, but that, I don't believe in God, but I believe in the power of stories mm-hmm. to, to redeem. I don't think that can be the full story. And I, I it's a both hand. Practically speaking, we do get inspired by stories all the time, right. and including Star Wars. I got, I got inspired by Andor. Do I actually believe that I'm watching a documentary about something that happened in a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away sort of stuff? No, but I think for foundational, constitutive stories for our lives that truly give us anchoring hope. Wait, what do you mean by constitutive? Foundational, uh, found, constitutive. Yes, yeah, I guess. <laughs> whatever. Uh, it, for 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 baseline narratives by which we live our lives, we can't just keep watching Andor. Uh-huh. But we need stories that we believe to be true that give us that give us real real anchor. And I think there's a lot of late modern era thought that puts shoves a lot of chips into the corner of the table saying that it's enough for us to be believers in stories. And I think that's a, that's a weakness right. in, in secular thought, unfortunately. So Packer, Del Banco, Murakami, Mott. Also had some biblical references, Galatians 3, Paul talking about the seed and the offspring who is Christ. So via Abraham, this does relate back to the Genesis chapter 3 passage, Romans 16, which many, not all commentators, treat as an indirect allusion to this passage. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What I, I believe that this is likely an illusion. I'm, I'm not completely sold. What, what would have clinched it for me is, so the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament is the Septuagint, a collection of writings. And so many... People in Palestine and surrounding regions lost fluency with 
ancient Hebrew, and a lot of Jewish people even read the Hebrew scriptures by the time of Jesus in Greek, in Greek via the Septuagint. So the word crush, uh, the God of peace will soon crush Satan, crush Satan under your feet. That's a dirt, that crush, for, for this to clinch it for me, I would want to see that same. same word as translated here in our English, bruise from mm-hmm. the Septuagint Genesis 3. It's a different word. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm not completely sold, but sold enough that I mentioned it in the sermon. The whole like crushing under your feet mm-hmm. sort of thing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then a passage that when I read it, I realized this is a passage, 1 Corinthians 15 that's too finely argued really to merit saying at the very end of a sermon i did say hey go back and read this passage again but the whole typology between adam as the first man and jesus as the last adam if the end of this passage says for you are dust and to dust you shall return paul in this passage says there is one to come after adam whose destiny for himself and for his children is not dust but rather glory in heaven so i wanted to build that connection and then we had the fun stuff any sermon where i can reference bruce springsteen captain america and star wars all in one sermon (laughs) is a lot of fun that you did probably your your the the most laughs were at the beginning with your town full of losers (laughs) it's a town full of losers and i'm pulling out of here to win oh High school gym. <laughs> right. There you go. Prime people. gym. Um, I said high school gym. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, guitar Slim Pickens, anything that you wish you could have redone, squeezed in one more reference? I was going to ask you if if you enjoy my liturgical dance. <laughs> that, was, that was unnecessarily, that's another like tease that you just didn't fulfill. But, but I got a I got a call back at the end of the sermon. I said I'm not going to do it. So I I feel like I I cashed I cashed the check that I wrote okay, on that one. Okay, that's your next TikTok. Okay, <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, anything else? Nope. Okay. Um, we have a Howlin' Wolf. You said right? Not a yes. turtle dove. A Howlin' Wolf. We'll wait for the Howlin' Wolves to get uh, a Marvel cameo. Howlin' Wolf Scott, a frequent. Both Turtle Dove and Helen Wolf. I always appreciate what he says. Hi, Jim and Emily. Uh, the the title of this email is The Office and Textual Criticism. Awesome. I, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what office? But then, hi, Jim and Emily. <laughs> the office. I enjoyed the first sermon in the new series. However, you did miss an opportunity for an office reference. Oh, no. The he had show too many references. When Michael Scott burns his foot and takes Dwight to the hospital for a concussion. Doctor, what is more serious, a head injury or a foot injury? But nonetheless, a great sermon. So I I don't remember that line. I think he's referencing the episode where Michael Scott burns his foot on the foreman grill and comes into the office. I guess I don't recall the rest of that episode. Very disappointment that, to our children. That, that well. But that would have been a great reference to include. Maybe yeah. we can add that in post-production to you're, the sermon you're recording just itself. You're so limited to Star Wars and Marvel. Like, it's it's kind of disappointing. A walking cliche. And then Scott goes on to say, I did have a random preaching question for you un- unrelated to the sermon as it relates to textual criticism. So textual criticism is scholarship that tries to figure out what was in the original version mm-hmm. of these books of the Bible. I was wondering if you ever preach on passages like the longer ending of Mark, that's Mark 16, or the 
per pericope de adultera, since I know you like your Latin, the story about the woman caught in adultery, that's John chapter 8, given that they probably weren't in the original manuscripts or would just skip them if you were going through Mark or John as a sermon series. I've never really given any thought to that matter myself. Helen Wolf Scott. So the, I need to put my money where my mouth is. At my first church, I preached through, I think, the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John and skipped the beginning of John 8, the woman caught in adultery, mm -hmm. when Jesus climactically says, let him who is perfect throw the first mm -hmm. stone. I just don't think, I, I don't think the evidence is there. And for me, it was, I'm not calling myself a hero or a martyr for this, mm -hmm. but if I want to be taken seriously as somebody that says we need to be obedient to the scriptures, I, I'd be worried that preaching from a passage where the great majority, almost to a person of modern scholarship says this was not original right. to the gospel of John. Right. It just, I, I think it would be inconsistent of me to have, to have preached from it, but it is a heartbreaker. And the reason that it's still included in English Bibles today, even with mm -hmm. brackets around it is it's such a great story mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's stayed on as long as it has, because it is a passage I had. I remember in seminary, Claire Davis, uh, church history professor was talking about this passage and was asked if he'd preach on it. He's actually a tender and a tender at Liberty River Wards at this mm. point. He's, re he's retired from Westminster. He said he probably wouldn't preach on it, but part of him would because the church has confessed for generations. It sounds so like our Lord, mm -hmm. the balance of holiness and grace that, that we find there. I have less of an attachment to Mark chapter 16 because it the, that ending that probably is a pseudo ending doesn't have a lot of textual evidence is also kind of weird with mm -hmm. like there's snakes and stuff. I'd have to go back and look at it again, but, but it actually to me doesn't fit the portrait of Jesus or what Mark is doing in his gospel that well. But I love instead how the Gospel of Mark ends in the original manuscripts, in the original Greek, assuming that that ending is false. And I'd, I'd have to go look at the references. Scott, I have preached on, I think, more than once, maybe twice on the end of the Gospel of Mark. Maybe they were Easter sermons or something because it ends with the, res with the empty tomb of Jesus. And Mark says that the disciples were afraid. Very afraid. And then, <laughs> and the, the last word in the whole book is afraid. And I just love that cliffhanger ending. Can't so it's yourself. like, they're, they're freaking out, which, which sounds like, which sounds authentic to me. <laughs> that Fear versus out. hope. Uh, yep. Good question, Scott. Thanks for mm -hmm. writing in. Helen Wolves, keep it, keep at it with the, with the stump gym questions. That wasn't, I guess it wasn't stump. Excavate Jim's brain questions. <laughs> People are welcome to try to stump. Well, well, this, the office part was like a, you, yeah, that was a stretcher also. Just like, get, get out of the, get out of Marvel. <laughs> um, I'll do my best. Any other last words? Nope. Nothing to sell. You have the, you have uh, the Advent series to hawk. <laughs> I mean, just like that's the sales I've just listened to a lot of podcasts it's the end of the part is like the where you're right hawking things oh do you, do you mean the devotionals yeah yeah I, I thought you meant the plan the whole time 
Messiah no, Pentateuch. We yeah, already talked about that. I your devotionals in Right. Did, did you watch my devotional that dropped yesterday? I saw a link to it. I don't even remember where, so no, I didn't. Well, we are excited. Emily, personally, is very excited <laughs> about what we're doing with Advent, with Advent devotionals this year. Pat McAdams, our digital ministry director, spent a lot of time curating. We're going to release on our YouTube page, Monday through Friday, every week of Advent, a minute and a half and less reflection on one of the passages in that day's reading for the Advent devotionals Mm -hmm. that we have available on our website, four different PDFs for each week. Feel free to grab one if you haven't, libertycollingswood.org backslash advent. It is one of those accordion menus towards the bottom of that page. And not only do we have that devotional for you, but we have videos from various Liberty Collingswood leaders coming down the pike. Nice. For you. And I, you did the first one. Did you have ponytail hair? I, I was wearing a hat. And okay. and I also, so, so I recorded for this first week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, before shoving out on sabbatical. So they also oh, are from oh, October. Oh. I'm going to record some new ones for this coming week. Mm-hmm. This week, I've put on a couple of pounds over sabbatical, so I... I I was a slimmer gym. There was a lot of restaurant eating. And, you know, maybe a muffalata. Maybe maybe we will do that January fast that people do. (laughs) I'll I'll just run. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. Mm-hmm.